A charming smile, a magnetic personality, and a violent secret. For decades, his rage simmered beneath the surface until one day he was exposed for the monster he always had been, one of America's most prolific and renowned serial killers. This week's episode is Ted Bundy. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How often a week would you say you talk to strangers? Um, Do you try to avoid it? Well... I'm thinking. My first thought was, how often do I go through a drive-through? Because that would be. <laughs> Don't wouldn't you say people in drive-through become your friends? Pretty <laughs> That's quickly? true. Well, I, have you heard my stories of drive? <laughs> they become my enemies usually. Probably during the week, I would say I talk to strangers three to four times. I just try to avoid them. Not a time. I mean, it, but only because. I have to. True. Well, yesterday we went to the zoo, and I spoke to several strangers there. Did you about what were they workers at the zoo? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, just not even you know, not like a an employee of a Target or a drive through. Oh, then never. <laughs> very, very rarely, unless they're doing me a service. Do I've I been really I've been accosted twice in the last few days by strangers. Once at Sam's, I was buying toilet paper. I'm very particular. I always buy Charmin Ultra Strong. This podcast is not brought to you by any. Is that kind of with the paper. bears? Yes, I um, only use Charmin Ultra too. Strong. And uh, I was picking it up off the shelf at the Sam's, and the woman said, "Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me." And I turned and looked at her, and I had my AirPods in. And I took it out, and she said, I'm one of those douchebags that wears AirPods. And she said, uh, the other brand is on sale. So I said, thank you. <laughs> I'm very particular about what goes in and around my butthole, so I'm going to go ahead and get this one. But thank you for the Did tip. you say butthole to her? Uh, I did. You did not? <laughs> no. I, said, I just said, uh, thank you. I, I just, I'm very particular. I'm going to get this one. And uh, she said, all right then. That's fine. She was so mad at me. Wow, she was personally affected, affected by, my by the fact that you wouldn't heed to her suggestion. Yes, and then today I was trying to open a door after 6.30 p.m. Our office building closes, and my coworker was trying to get in, and I was trying to, you know, kind of finagle the door and let her in, and a finance bro, who a lot of them work in our building, is like, door's locked. It's locked, which I could tell because it wouldn't open. Well, that's just mansplaining. And then he goes, uh, they locked the door after a certain period of time, and you can't get in. You have to go to another door. It was just the most solid mansplaining, and I thought, I'm going to kill a person on an elevator. <laughs> well, and then his body will be in there until yes. they open the door. <laughs> we had to get in the elevator together. I thought, oh. I'm sure that someone yesterday at the zoo talked to me. A little child tried to grab my hand in line for the bathroom because she thought I was her mommy. Oh, no. And I said, I'm not your mommy. That ever happened as a kid? Where you grab would, a hold of a grown up and you go, <gasps> yeah, I do remember accidentally grabbing the wrong hand a few times. It's terrifying. But yeah. I don't recall if anybody, certainly no one was like, uh, excuse me, the giraffes are out right now. So why don't you take your ass over there and stop <laughs> looking at the elephants? You're like, I like the elephants. Oh, oh, the woman did accost me. I felt personally accosted oh, at the giraffe section. What happened? Because you buy, you can buy lettuce and carrots to feed to yes. the giraffes. Well, 
yesterday, the Dallas Zoo was... And by yesterday, you mean Mother's Day Mother's 2019. Mother's Day, yes, was a, a circus. No, okay. and not just because there were animals there. It was a legit... <laughs> there were clowns, too. And, yes, and a woman yeah, on a, she got shot on out of a, a cannon. tightrope yeah. walking across the whole park. It was just very, very crowded. And the giraffes weren't coming up to anybody at the area where you feed them because they were being fed too much. Yeah. And all the... Stuff people had bought had just been thrown into their area. Oh. They weren't paying attention to it. So, first of all, Ella started eating the carrots. And I was like, those <laughs> probably aren't washed, but whatever. <laughs> and then I tried to walk out of the little area with the lettuce. And the woman that sells the lettuce goes, ma'am, ma'am. I was on my phone. So, <laughs> trying to post a fun story to Instagram. And I turn around. She goes, you can't take the lettuce with you. Whose lettuce is it? It's mine. I bought it. She goes... If the giraffe didn't eat it, you can either hand it back to me or throw it in their area with them. What? And so I went and threw it in their area. Well, good. Yeah, don't give it to that bitch. No, but I guess what I guess they don't want you feeding it to other animals, That's which makes fair. sense. But you know what? I would, you just take that lettuce and shove it right. Yeah, now. I should have just eaten Make it eye right contact. in front of her. <laughs> I mean, my daughter was eating the carrots, and I just want to be like, "Well, my baby's eating the carrots. I'm going to go grab those out of her cute, sweet hands and bring those back to you." <laughs> Snatch also, them out of her hand. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Give me that carrot. Oh, man. Well, I asked because, you know, sometimes a stranger may ask you for some help, and that could be very dangerous, and I, I would not recommend helping I would anyone. not have been in this situation because I do not help people that ask me for things, <laughs> especially if I was a woman by myself, and if a man came and asked me to help him with something. I think I have a look about me that I don't even mm-hmm. think Ted Bundy would have approached me. He'd have been like, that bitch is nope. going to be a handful. Nope. <laughs> I am I had not a, going down that road. Very, I had a pure, gentle, happy face when I moved to Chicago. And I'd sit on the bus with this just uh, yokel, big-eyed grin on my face. And, of course, people would walk up and be like, you want to see my dick? And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. And so then I, I uh, adopted this scowl that I sort of maintain to this day. And the scowl is very helpful at keeping people yeah. away. It's not even a resting bitchy face. It's like a resting, what did you say to yeah. me kind it's of like, face. don't mess with me today correct people you can see them on the street actively sh- like turn away from you and they're gonna ask for donations for their charity and they're like we'd rather the charity go broke yeah. she's so mean Every- i'm a nice person but i just like to look everyone mean. always said or i have so many friends that when they were pregnant would say oh i was in the grocery store and this woman just came up and she just put her hand right on my belly who does that <laughs> and i always expected that to happen Never once. And I halfway through, I was like, <laughs> nobody wants to fuck with me. It's my face. It's, <laughs> my face. Is, it's me. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I hope her baby doesn't turn out the way she is. <laughs> I was kind of like wanting it to happen so I can, I wish a so I can be like, I, I wish somebody would come up and touch I think my stomach Some right people now. have resting bitchy face. We have, I wish a motherfucker would face. <laughs> like, come on over. I'll, you about to see what's going to happen to you. You about to see what's yeah. going to happen to you. So, yeah, she... Uh, so I would not help a stranger load a sailboat. On, first of all, even if I thought he wasn't going to rape and kill me, I'd be like, do I look like I want to load a fucking sailboat onto I your have... car right now? That sounds like a ton of work. <laughs> Thank you. Why would you ask me to? That's how I know you're going to try to kill me. I have weak and feeble arms, and any stranger could see There's that. a million strong-bodied men around here. Really? Yes, it's not me. Go ask one of them. A sailboat? Do you know how heavy a sailboat is? I Unless love... it's a child's toy sailboat. I'm not lifting a sailboat and onto the hood of a car. Whose idea was what this? What a crazy thing to suggest. Whose idea? But it worked. It you was know? Ted Bundy's idea. It was. It was. And unfortunately, it worked. Yeah, it did. I also, hot take, 
so many people think Ted Bundy was super hot. I just Did, here's the thing. Had, fool ever heard of some wax dude? He had one eyebrow. <laughs> he was like Frida Kahlo. So many snaggle teeth. He that's what got him when in I the first, end. So I was just like, maybe Ted Bundy came about when there were no hot celebrities. There was Paul Newman. There was Robert oh. Redford in the seventies. Nineteen sixty nine. Butch Cassidy and so Sundance hot. Ken came out. It's basically like a pornographic film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hot. They are hot. And yes, this. very. So this is not like we had a dearth of attractive men in the seventies. No. What is going on? He didn't look like a typical serial killer. I will give... He did have crazy eyes. He did. But at first glance, you would not think He looks like a basic like the, white bitch. Man. He looks like a yeah. basic lawyer that would yeah. just be a douchebag. Yeah, he did look like a douchebag. But not someone that would take a hacksaw to a woman's head and then sleep with her corpse for weeks on end. Yeah. I didn't get that vibe. <sighs> well... Well, he was a doozy. I did say, I texted you my hot take uh, after I got about uh, three hours into the audiobook. I just wrote, hot take, Ted Bundy is a shitbag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were like, yep. Sure is. I think that is a popular opinion. I Although, don't. I just saw somebody posted on a Facebook group, a woman got the bite marks. Spoiler alert, he's a serial killer. <laughs> he bit a lady in her butt cheek yep. before killing her, and a woman got the imprint of the bite marks in the booty cheek I have as a, a tattoo t- I have a tattoo on my butt cheek and it's not it's the Blues Brothers because I have you know <laughs> dignity and self respect <laughs> yeah. what did this person why would you get a serial killer bite mark honestly that stuff skeezes me out so bad the, it's like we talked about buying murder of yeah, I don't I don't agree with it I think it's super insulting and disrespectful to the victims and their families Someone was like that was somebody's daughter, and yeah. you're gonna get a tattoo of that. Yeah, go fuck yourself. But if, if you're dead. listening, I still I stand by it. Go f- if you're that person, <laughs> you're a listener. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I think that the comment made while posting the picture was, "Wow, what is wrong with people?" And everyone's like, "No, no, no, that's disgusting. What's wrong yeah, with you?" So it's I think terrible. it's a general consensus. But I think most people think that's trashy. Uh, butt tattoos are hot, first of all, as one that has one. I do not have a butt tattoo. What's I have a- an arm tattoo and wrist tattoo. I have a side tattoo and a butt tattoo. Uh, but I'd be open to, uh, you know, other parts, I guess. Sometimes I think about getting another tattoo, and then I realize I don't really want the ones I have. So, <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I'm getting one laser. So, so maybe. Yeah. Well, this week, we are talking about Ted Bundy. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. He was and still remains one of the ma- most prolific serial killers the world has ever seen. Yeah, when they said what body count was about 30 and he said add another digit yeah. to that. Yeah. He's there's really no telling how many women he's killed, but yeah. because there's so much to cover with him, we're going to break this up into at least 3 episodes. Yeah, I think 3 is going to be uh the, the magic number as we got into we th- we're going to do 2 and we thought, you know what, there's too much. I mean, the murders alone are an entire episode. Yeah, and I think we would do disservice to the victims to go. Let's talk about this charming serial killer that everyone's uh, obsessed with. Yada yada yada. He killed a bunch of people. Anyway, here's the trial. Yeah. You know, I think it's yeah. important to, to go into these women's lives and and what they and at no point, not that anyone ever is doing anything that would cause them to deserve being felt, but literally every one of them was either walking to or from home trying to help someone. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was just a predator, and I think it's important that we recognize the victims. So For we'll, sure. we'll give them kind of their whole. So today's episode, we're going to focus on his childhood, his teenage years, and pretty much his life leading up to when the attacks began. Yes. So you'll get a little understanding into 
perhaps how a serial killer is made. Did you know anything about Ted Bunny before we started? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. did you? I had, no, I had no idea. I didn't know as much as I do now. Well, obviously, yeah. That's kind of every episode we have. Right. I Yeah. There was a lot I, I didn't know, but including uh, kind of how he started out life. Yeah. No, I didn't know any of this, and I... Knew that he had killed women, but I actually thought he ate people. I wasn't sure. I think uh, I got him. Dahmer and, eats people. I think I got them mixed up. So Yeah. They're both, man, what a dinner party that would be. <laughs> For <laughs> the real. Two of them we there. do not want to be invited to. Hell no. Well, let's get into it. Eleanor Louise Cowell was a pious girl born in Philadelphia to a deeply religious family who, at age 22, was surprised to learn she had become pregnant by a man she referred to only as... A sailor. At the time of her pregnancy, abortion was illegal, performed only in back alleys with dangerous instruments. Left with few options, Eleanor left home at seven months pregnant to go live at Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers in Burlington, Vermont, known by judgmental locals as Lizzie Lund's Home for Naughty Ladies. When the home had been founded in the 1890s, it went by the moderately better name, the Home for Friendless Women. Yes. Wow. There's... Yeah. Early 19- These are both pretty great. <laughs> yeah, ni- early 1946, not a great time for women. Much the home less- for friendless women. Friendless. Well, I suppose you have, I mean, I, th- I think it should be the home for uh, significant otherless women. True. Partnerless women, they, maybe. They probably had friends. True. I hope each, they did. Hopefully they when had they, each other. Just say each other. When they moved in, they made friends. Yes. The, the true gift was the friends they made along the oh, way. Oh, I hope so. On November 24th, 1946, Eleanor delivered her first son, Theodore Robert Cowell. Eleanor's parents were deeply religious and felt humiliated and shamed by their grandson being born out of wedlock. When Eleanor and the baby moved back to Philadelphia to live with their parents, the decision was made that Ted would be raised to believe that his grandparents were actually his parents and that his mother was really his sister. That happened to Jack Nicholson. Famous really? actor. Yes. I did not know that. Most of his life, he thought that his mom, the lady that was his mom, was actually his grandma. You know what I mean? Like, so he was born. Was, was sorry. It, she really young when she la- had him? Yeah. The lady that he thought was his sister was actually his mom. And the lady that he thought was his mom was actually right. his grandma. Did not know that. I've yeah. heard of it happening. Yeah. It was kind of a uh, thing to do back then. Yeah. As opposed to give the baby away. Yes. Or, yes. Yeah, so she apparently wanted to give the baby up for adoption. Yeah. And her parents said, nope, you're keeping it, but this is what's going to happen because we will not be shamed by our community for your mistake. Well, then as the kid got everybody kind of knew, right? They actually, all of their, their close friends thought that it they, really was told, they told that, I mean, I don't know if they believed it or not, but they presented that this is what was really happening. To this day, it is unknown who Ted Bundy's biological father was. Some have suspected that Eleanor's father, Samuel, an oppressive figure with violent tendencies, had been the one to impregnate his daughter, possibly making Eleanor both sister and mother to Ted. There's conflicting reports regarding how Ted felt about his grandparents. In some interviews, he spoke warmly of them, specifically his grandfather, who he claimed to have identified with and respected. The Anne Rule book, which I read, is... Very heavy on the Ted. Stranger beside me. The stranger beside me. Very heavy on the Ted was obsessed with his grandma or grandpa situation. Well, she said that it was the only man that he thought was a manly man and took charge and was. Yeah, it was the only father figure in his life. 
However, he has also claimed that Samuel Cow was a tyrannical bully and a racist. He was known to beat his wife and the family dog, and those in the neighborhood remember him swinging stray cats around by their tails. One time, Louise's younger sister, Julia, fell victim to his violent outburst when her father threw her down a flight of stairs for oversleeping. So he sounds kind of like a douchebag. Yeah, and he's... Violent, So Ted's abusive. already growing up seeing a violent and abusive pattern, and this is how you treat women. Yeah, violence against women. At a very animals. young age, and animals, yes, which... Uh, the serial killer pattern is starting off with animals and then you escalate. It was also reported that at times, Cal would speak aloud to unseen presences. He also flew into a violent rage when the question of Ted's paternity was raised. Oof. So he's trying to keep the family secret well, at all costs. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that he raped his daughter and yeah. that's why they wanted to keep this all a secret and, and raise him the way he did. It would also explain why he got upset if anybody brought it up. And if this was his real father and there's something to be said for things being hereditary, True. then that could explain a lot of the tendencies Ted had as well. Ted described his grandmother as a timid and obedient woman. She suffered from depression and received the now highly controversial electroconvulsive therapy. Towards the end of her life, she developed agoraphobia and rarely left the house. Yes, this was unfortunately... Sounds like a real bad... A role model situation. Yeah, not a great place to grow up, it no. sounds like. Not a happy place. A few years later, Eleanor and Ted moved to Tacoma, Washington to live with relatives. One day at a church social, Eleanor, who was now going by Louise, met a man named Johnny Bundy. The two courted by attending several other church social functions together, and on May 19th, 1951, were married. Some of the, and Rule speculated that as Ted was older and was able to interact with people in the neighborhood, there were whispers about maybe that really is the mom and that she was ashamed. And that's why she went and loved with, lived with relatives yes. into Tacoma because he started getting old enough that if kids would tease him about it. And then even if it wasn't speculative that the, maybe the dad did it, that he was a bastard. Yes. Also, the family saw how abusive he was to Eleanor or Louise and they wanted and to the get her out of there. Yeah. yeah. When Ted was just shy of five years old, he was officially adopted by Johnny, and his name was legally changed to Theodore Bundy. Eleanor and Johnny went on to have several children together, giving Ted two half-sisters and two half-brothers. By all accounts, the Bundys were a regular working-class family. Not like the Bundys on, what was it, TBS? Married with children. Here's, here's something fun. Yeah. When that show... Man, when I was in my early 20s or something, I thought that show was so funny. And now I want to go back and slap myself <laughs> for thinking that. It is the most sexist, <laughs> stupid fucking show. You don't think it was satirical that it was commenting No, I thought on, it was legit sexist. That it's not commenting on sexism? I did not find it satirical. I found it legitimately sexist did you find it satirical i just didn't think it was funny yeah it's not funny i didn't i love ed o'neill on modern family oh yeah he's great he's a great actor but at the time his face bothered me it was very rubbery and i'm sure it was for comedic effect but as a child much like the phil collins land of illusion music video where they have rubber masks oh that video haunts my dreams scares the shit out of yeah, me yeah i hate I felt that like, same with sledgehammer by peter gabriel oh, also disturbing great song <laughs> very upsetting up video. video fucked up video but i thought that al bundy's face was very upsetting it looks like he belongs in madame tussauds yes house of wax and it's like man smells fart 
would be the name under the plaque of him because <laughs> yeah. he always sort of looked like he smelled a well, fart. Well, that's probably was like his, the bit. Yeah, he was getting into character every day. He just <laughs> he just farted and smelled it, and then went, "I'm ready, roll." <laughs> Ted's childhood friend Sandy Holt recalls the Bundys being loving and devoted parents who were very involved in their children's lives. They took the children to church every Sunday, enrolled them in Boy Scouts and brownies, and sent them on church retreats. So they were trying to give a, she was trying to give a normal semblance of a family. I think they were pretty normal, yeah, by all accounts. From a young age, Ted showed signs of brilliance. Disturbingly, he also showed an early interest in the macabre. Family stories have been told of Ted's odd behavior as a child. There were reported incidents of violence, animal mutilation, and incidents of sexual deviancy. Yeah, apparently, according to his lawyer, John Henry Brown, he wrote a book called Defending the Devil. And he said that... <laughs> That's a good title. It's a really good title. <laughs> uh, he said that basically Ted Bunny's violence started as a child, that he would buy... Ted Bunny would buy mice at a local pet shop, build like a little corral and kind of put them in the woods, and then play God and kill some of them and let other ones go free. So he and that's kind of what he later did yeah, with his victims. Yeah, that is, it's part of the McDonald's triad. Yeah, uh, any type of animal abuse or mutilation is indicative of someone possibly becoming a serial killer. Yeah, and there's other reports that just said he mutilated cats and dogs too. That that that's the most. And again, specific. if he sees his grandfather slash father yeah. being abusive to animals, it doesn't occur to him this is wrong behavior. True, it seems pretty normal. Ted's aunt also recalled that when Ted was three years old, she laid down to take a nap with him. When she woke, she was shocked to see that Ted had removed all the knives from the kitchen and placed them in a circle around her body. So a very early fascination with violence, it sounds like. Here's my question. Where are you keeping your knives at a three-year-old? That's true. You get all these knives. They're a very tall three-year-old or a very low <laughs> or knife Or they just didn't secure. Their their kitchen wasn't baby-proof, if true. you will. It's not, maybe it was just out on the counter and he pushed a chair up and sort of, I don't know. I Before I had kids, I would look at this and think, oh my gosh, that is crazy. And it still is a little crazy. But also, toddlers are fucking weird and they get into weird stuff and they do stuff without even really knowing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I could see Ella just bringing me a knife from the kitchen and being like, hey, mom, here you go. And not like knowing what she's even doing. Yeah. But he probably had ulterior motives. Or I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he saw his grandpa wielding a knife or something. I don't know. That's true. Well, too skinny for football, Ted set his focus on his academics. Those that knew him said he lacked in the friend-making department and was often bullied in middle school especially for deciding to shower in a stall away from the other boys who loved to sneak up on Ted and pour cold water on him as he bathed privately. However, in the Netflix original, The Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, Ted recalls an active and fun childhood filled with hunting frogs in the creeks with friends and running around with other neighborhood children. I'm not here to defend Ted Bundy, but communal showers in a middle school setting is uh it should, should be, be illegal it should be illegal. should be banned and it makes me again I, I also not gonna defend him but it does break my heart to think about a little boy trying to hide trying to hide and getting bullied like that That's when so you're sad. at your most vulnerable yes that brings like a tear to my eye thinking so about sad. i had weird titties Very in middle sad. school i have good looking ones now but back then they were still i mean you're still growing in well all middle school girls have weird titties i mean i think so but i felt my everyone you know if it's you it's worse right i felt it was worse and i just did not want to shower i never showered in a 
public bathroom. That wasn't even a thing. Oh, we had to. I just would for use what the- after pee. Yeah, I always had sports the last thing of the day. I had it first, and I couldn't. Change oh, it. dang. Yeah, it was terrible. Well, in middle school, you tell me a pee. I'm sure we had pee, but I don't. Rem- we never showered. Middle school, we showered, it was and then horrifying. I played soccer and stuff in middle school. But it was always the last thing of the day. So you just so go home. Even if I'd gone back to class, I don't think I would have showered. And if you didn't shower, they made fun of you. And back then, I didn't know about so the magic. So it was a lose-lose situation. It was lose-lose. And if I didn't know about dry shampoo. So here I was. I, they probably didn't even have it back no. then. <laughs> All right. I'm not that old. <laughs> Ted's childhood friend, Holt, paints a different picture and says that Ted was, quote, different, teased for having a speech impediment, and was unable to do the activities in Boy Scouts, like tie a knot or build a fire, that came easily to the other boys. So one thing in the Netflix show, The Ted Bundy Tapes, mm-hmm. the two biographers slash interviewers that are interviewing him, they say to the camera, apart from him, how things that he would say painted a totally different picture than what he would tell other biographers. Almost like he just wanted kind of a celebrity like biopic of his life made with this mm. thing instead of it He's being painting scenes. Yes. He wanted to be perceived as this normal kid that nothing in his childhood led to what he did later in life. It was just, he had a, a friends, he had a good upbringing. So it's interesting. The motivation behind that of what, it, what is he trying to paint? What kind of pictures are you trying Does to he paint? still want people to think just control? Like yeah. he has control over his story or is he still legitimately embarrassed of things that happened and and too prideful to even admit them when while he's on death row well i think we'll get into it and kind of like the trigger point on on him and i think a lot of this can all a lot of his actions and behaviors especially the more violent ones later in his life are traced back to this damaged and bruised male ego yes very much i think so I think that's what it is later in life. If you have a chance to tell your story the way and someone's sitting there with a tape recorder listening, you're going to tell whatever story mm-hmm, you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I'll tell you about how I had weird titties in middle school. <laughs> Ted Bunny's going to tell you he was a cool guy. He's going to say he had real good looking titties. <laughs> so good they peeked over the side with a bucket of cold water. <laughs> they that's they just wanted to see him. It's so sad. It is sad. That's really sad. Holt also remembers Ted having a temper. And that he liked to scare people and build tiger traps in the woods. What? One day, a neighborhood girl fell victim to one of his traps, and upon falling into the hole filled with sharpened sticks, had the entire side of her leg sliced open. Christy, can you explain to me what a tiger trap is? <laughs> yes. Tiger trap is what you see in a cartoon yes. where they, a wacky guy cuts a hole in the ground and then puts a bunch of sharpened sticks in the bottom and then covers it back up with debris so someone walking through will just fall in and become victim to their little trap who would do or a tiger yeah well he was uh if he was in tacoma washington looking for a tiger he was barking up the wrong forest <laughs> yeah, i think he needed to go uh i don't know where do they have east tigers left? yeah i think asia they have tigers there <laughs> yeah yeah, they're endangered. Yeah. But he also just wanted to test the waters of what can he get away with as far as these violent tendencies that he's already experiencing. I think that element of surprise and the like, gotcha. He How liked scary that. if you're just walk if you're a little girl walking through the woods and you just fall into a hole. Next thing you know, your leg is sliced apart. And freak show Ted Bundy, lone showerer, standing above. <laughs> it's just you. laughing at you. Yeah. 
Ted regularly missed out on typical teenage fun because he had to babysit his younger siblings. In later interviews, he recalled how he was antisocial and would wander the streets looking for discarded pornography and open windows where he could peer in at unsuspecting women. Ted was also known by juvenile authorities as a troublemaker, being picked up at least twice for auto theft and burglary. What is going on with Tacoma, Washington, where people are hurtling pornography out of their windows? I gotta say he didn't find much <laughs> who just throws away a bunch of porno a mags perfect, in their trash a perfectly good piece of you put it under your mattress like a normal person well this one's done with it's yeah, all stuck just together throw it in the trash and also don't change in front of your windows well i'm not gonna blame those women that's true you should be able to change wherever you want to change but shut your blinds <laughs> for real because ted bundy's leering in i i am very paranoid about that kind of stuff as a person who walks down the street and loves looking in other people's windows i always keep my windows closed oh i love when i'm walking my dogs one time i was walking my dogs through i used to live adjacent to a very fancy neighborhood oh that's fun and i would walk my dogs through it and one night no less than five houses were all watching the simpsons and i thought you know what the universal thing that brings us all together rich poor Whatever, uh, wherever you should have had a watching party at someone's house. You should have gone up and knocked on one of their doors. Said, "Excuse me." Just so you know, your surrounding neighbors are all watching the same show. You guys, why don't y'all get together, have some, have some laughs? Yes. Then you'll have some inside jokes to tell each other. Nobody's writing on next door about that about how they're watching the Simpsons. They're just writing about how real racist stuff if you're on my next door it's all real racist stuff or um it's always like uh i got some garbage what do i do with it you're like put it it out by the curtain idiot what do i do with this trash what do you think you do with it shove it up your ass that's what you do with it (laughs) well there are again conflicting reports on ted's behavior in high school he has told some biographers and reporters that he was antisocial and awkward while in other interviews he claimed to be athletic and quote one of the boys. Do you think this is just a Liz Lemon situation where he thought he was bullied and then really he was the bully? Like where she thought everything. I was wondering, isn't it interesting how, I think we've talked about this before, you really don't know what your life was like, for example, in high school, until if, unless you were to ask someone else, how was I perceived? How did you perceive me? Totally different. You, yeah. The way I think of my high school life Maybe totally different than how someone else viewed me through their eyes. Somebody may have thought I was a cool kid and I was not. <laughs> I was a lame. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they, you know, it may. You never know what others think of you. It's yeah, perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And there were some people who I thought, oh my God, she's got it made. If only I could be like her, man, my problems would be far, far away. And it may have been, she may have felt the same way about me. Yeah. You, you never know. know. You really don't. We're all at home. We're all secretly just watching The Simpsons. Yeah. That's why it's up to someone who's slash stalker. Looking in people's windows. I'm not a stalker. I was a, a purveyor of fine windows. There's a person down the street from me that always has their blinds open, and I just want to go up and say, we can shut see your blinds. We can see you. This is not... If you're listening right now... Shut your blinds, You're you cutting guys. some broccoli up, getting ready for dinner. Take a look. Your, your blinds may be open, and who knows on the and other side. And when it's light in your house and it's dark outside, That's the most dangerous you can't time. see what's happening. Someone could be standing very close to your window. Or far away in a jacket, but they can see real far. Yeah. Everyone, close your blinds right now. Even if it's daytime. Just pause the show. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. Go close your blinds. Pause the show. Well, fellow classmates at Woodrow Wilson High, we have one of these in Dallas, too. Oh, yeah. Remember him as handsome, well-known, popular, well-mannered, and well-dressed. He attended dances but was shy, almost introverted. He was also interested in politics. 
While there is no record of him running for student body council, in the Ted Bundy tapes, Ted claims he ran for student office. Again, probably didn't happen. I bet not. But in his story, he's going to say that it did. It's funny that, like you said, perception and reality and Mm -hmm. what becomes true. Also, at some point... The jig is up, my friend. It's in the note. It's in the yearbook. <laughs> Who gives a shit? You're, but also you're in prison for these crimes. You're about to be electric. Just fess up, dumb dumb. <laughs> Ted and his stepfather Johnny tried to get along, but Ted withdrew emotionally, and Johnny chalked it up to teenage emotions. True crime books would later speculate that Ted didn't respect his stepfather, a cook by trade, and considered him unintelligent and was ashamed by his working class status. Louise believed in Ted strongly and encouraged him to save up for college, believing he could make something of himself. This and, poor woman. Yeah. And according to her or according to reports, she really thought he was kind of the golden child. That yeah. He was smarter yeah. than everybody. I mean, up until the day he was executed, she was, right was adamant that he was innocent. Just couldn't bring her. And that's so sad. It's her boy. You got, I mean, as a parent, you never want to think your kid is capable of something like this. So I, I can't you can begrudge her for that. Yeah. Well, from 1965 to 1966, Ted attended the University of Puget Sound, where Louise was also working as an administrative assistant. In 1966, Ted transferred to the University of Washington, where he majored in Chinese. He believed that China was going to take over the world and that that was going to be a major superpower and that to succeed in business and life, you needed to know Chinese. How'd that work out? (laughs) Well, not great for him. He ended up being a serial killer. Ted had yet to have any serious involvement with a woman. He was shy, embarrassed about his middle-class background, and believed he had nothing to offer a romantic partner. Yeah, around this time he was about 20 years old and never had a girlfriend. Which isn't crazy. That's not crazy. I had my first boyfriend when I was 18. I had my first, well, I mean, a middle school boyfriend. Can oh, you even yeah. consider I had a boyfriend, a boyfriend in kindergarten. But yeah, yeah, I had a boyfriend in kindergarten. We would hold hands while we laid on the mat and took naps. <laughs> But I had a stupid boyfriend. I call not he wasn't stupid. I say the whole concept was stupid in in sixth grade, and I think in eighth grade too. And then probably my first like boyfriend boyfriend was in college. I mean, not in college, in high school. My junior, like junior and senior year, I had boyfriends. Yeah. Well, twenty. He's twenty years old at this time in college, and has never had a romantic partner. Yeah. Until he meets a woman named Stephanie Brooks. Known as Diane in the Ted Bundy tape. She kind of has like four pseudonyms. Yeah, and I think that originally, early on, when he was just about to get executed and had been convicted, people writing about her were trying to kind of protect her identity. And it, I, the Ted Bundy tapes sort of don't give a fuck and just show her yearbook picture yeah. and her name is Diane, whatever. They, they do block out her last name, but it does say Diane. Let's yeah. stick with Stephanie for this. just because. I mean, not that anyone's going to go Googling her, but if you watch the Ted Bundy tapes, it's the same lady. Yeah. Well, she was a beautiful, elegant woman from a wealthy California family. And Ted believes she was far too good for him. No, you told me don't believe that, that I should never believe someone's too good for No, him. I don't. Anytime somebody says you, you're you out of their league or they're out of your league, I don't buy that. I, I like think it. there are leagues. And I also read something today that says you... The caliber of who you're dating is based on your self-esteem. Well, I can attest to that. <laughs> My current situations have uh, improved dramatically. Well, there you go. <laughs> when you're feeling good about yourself, you attract people that I mean that, it's, that it's, you look at and go, "Oh my god, have you fallen <laughs> from a magazine? You're so hot." <laughs> well, after pining after Stephanie for months, Ted finally befriended her over a shared interest in skiing and made his move. 
Stephanie reciprocated, and the two dated for a year until 1968 when Ted dropped out of college. Anne Rule describes Ted as sort of following her around a little bit and trying to be her friend and not really, and then they would drive up to the ski lodge area together and just say, you know, I I have my ski stuff. Are you going to drive up there? You want to ride together? And on the way, he would be very charming. And That's how you do it. You know what? He sort of weaseled his way Mm -hmm. in by charm. Stephanie ended up dumping him for his lack of ambition, saying... He just won't stand up for himself. He's lying about a lot of the little things. Psychiatrist Dorothy Lewis later said that this incident would mark the pivotal time in Bundy's development as a psychopath. Ted's later victims were also said to resemble Stephanie, attractive college students with long, dark hair. He sort of had a a victim MO or, Mm -hmm. you know, victimology. Mm -hmm. Devastated by the breakup. Ted traveled east, eventually enrolling in Temple University for one semester. Which is in the Philadelphia area where his family is from. While Louise never confirmed to Ted that she was his mother and not his older sister, sometimes he called her mother and other times Louise, he always had his suspicions. While in Pennsylvania, he ventured over to the county records office and found his birth certificate. His sister, Louise, was listed as his mother. His father was listed as a 30-year-old Navy veteran and businessman. Bundy would go on to develop a lifelong resistance towards his mother for never talking to him about his real father and for leaving him to discover his true parentage for himself. That's got to fuck you up. I think so. Your whole whole life's been a lie. Well, yeah. And you say, I mean, you sit here and think, well, you know, who knows who it was? And she said, well, it was just a sailor or whoever. Well, she told her parents it was just a sailor. She apparently knew his name, supposedly. I mean, not. There was a name written down and Ann Rule puts the name in the book. Could have been dad. Well, I mean, no. (laughs) That's not who she wrote, but yeah. Right, right. After a short stint in Temple, Ted moved back to Washington, and in October 1969, he met Elizabeth Klepfer at the Sandpiper Tavern in Seattle. Liz was a single mother of a two-year-old daughter who had recently moved to Seattle after divorcing her husband, a convicted felon, and had taken a job as a secretary to support herself and her daughter. She came from a Mormon family and had a wealthy background. This is if you watch the Zac Efron movie... God, don't bother. It sucks, <laughs> but it's so dumb. This is where it starts. It's so cheesy. You know, I was watching it, and it's not at all scary or graphic. No, at all. That it basically focuses on their relationship more than anything. It's just bad acting and poor writing. I thought Lily Collins was pretty good. The one, that yeah, she was probably she <laughs> plays Liz. Yeah, that plays Liz. But the cast is wild. When it got finally Why? got to the trial, I went Shelton. I know Shelton. <laughs> Shelton from Big Bang as the prosecutor. And John Malkovich. John Malkovich is the judge. That threw me for a. He doesn't loop. even sound like he's from Florida, and he keeps saying and what I would imagine. A, he was too, he like, was too oh, affable and nice compared like a, to the actual judge. You know, a Florida judge may say, "All right, partner, I need you to sit down." But it's John Malkovich who yes. talks like this, and he's All like, right, "Partner, partner, why don't you sit down?" I was like, "There's a robot judge." We didn't know in the '70s they had robot judge, but it's played by John Malkovich. I love John Malkovich, though. Hot take. Hate John Malkovich. Really? I hate his face. I hate his voice. I hate his stupid acting. I hate that he leg wrestles. I hate every part of John Malkovich. Well, all right. What movie made you hate him? Uh, Probably Con Air. Interesting. Have you seen Being John Malkovich? Yeah, I hated it. I love John Cusack. Hate John Malkovich. Man. Going to see John Cusack this weekend. Oh, yeah? He's doing Say Anything at the Majestic Theater Q&A. Nice. But yeah, I... Are you going to ask him a question? I'm going to go up and say, do you want to make out? (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I hope they let you get that close. 
Well, you, you, you should the say, do you remember me? I met you. There's a Q&A. Like six months ago. Well, it was like two years ago. When you met John Q. Oh, I'm thinking of John Mayer. John Mayer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. a lot of Johns. Oh, take the picture. Sounded like a prostitute. Of, take that picture of sex worker. That's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> take the picture of you and John Cusack with you. Okay. And hold it up like he does the boombox and say anything. anything. But also get your phone out, play in your eyes yeah. while this is happening. He's going to love it. And I'm not going to get arrested at all. I feel like this might go over well. You think it's going to work? Think, I think he might chuckle. <laughs> he might give That's you a smirk. You want. you want someone who you're trying to get in a romantic relationship to just laugh at you. I, but in a good way, I think he might be like, huh. She seems funny. Maybe okay. I want to date her. Or he's like, my God, I've seen this fucking bit at every q and I've done. <laughs> Someone's always holding security. Something. They're always holding something over their heads. But you should take that picture. Yeah, that would be fun. I should and get see. him to sign it. Yeah, I'll see. I'll see yeah. if he will. But yeah, so if you're watching John Malkovich in this Zac Efron movie on Netflix, it is uh, largely focuses on the relationship of Liz Klepfer Liz and, and Liz and, and him. Yeah, and Tim Bundy. And I think having now read the Anne Rule book and re- watching the Ted Bundy tapes and reading all these articles, I feel like it unfairly paints him in a pretty good light yes he was not it makes him look like a very good boyfriend to liz and we'll kind of get into it he's he was as i said earlier let's say it with me you guys a (laughs) shitbag yeah yeah in her memoir the phantom prince my life with ted bundy liz describes their meeting saying the chemistry between us was incredible i was already planning the wedding and naming the kids He was telling me that he missed having a kitchen because he loved to cook. Perfect. My prince. I haven't read that memoir, but... You can't. It's $500. It's out of... What? Yeah, she will... I I thought I texted you a picture of it. I found it on Amazon. It's $500 because there was only one run of them. And after that, she didn't want any more attention and she had them stop printing it. And then Netflix found it, got a hold... You know, they adapted the screenplay from this memoir, got her and her daughter's buy-in. They actually came and visited the set while they were making this movie. And they visited on a happy day. So they visited on the day. It's an early scene in the movie when they meet at the Sandpiper Tavern. Interesting. I wonder if she'll have it re-released after agreeing to this. No. She doesn't want to. Yeah, she doesn't want to do any press. She's changed her name. Her daughter's changed her name. So Smart. You can't find you her. You got to. Yeah. Well, Ted, Liz, and her daughter, known as Tina in the memoir and Molly in the Netflix film Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, would spend weekends going for walks down Main Street in the University District, feeding the ducks at a local park, and visiting the area's nearby lakes. Can you repeat the name of that Netflix movie? Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Sounds like Dr. Phil named that. That's three of the. You said <laughs> yeah. the same thing three times. I, I realize. Extremely, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. It's because the judge, when he's sentencing yeah, him, he says, says it. I, because re- I, I was, I thought, what a wordy, dumb name. And then when I heard. It's a direct quote. The judge sentenced him, I realized. John oh, okay. Malkovich it's a direct. It. When John Malkovich, the wonderful John Malkovich, Ugh, said it. Trash. On Saturday mornings, Ted would watch cartoons and make breakfast with the little girl while Liz slept in. There were birthday parties, camping outings, ski trips, and discussions of marriage. To Liz, life didn't get much better than this. I mean, she broke up with her husband, who was a convicted felon, starts a new life and thinks, man, I don't know anybody. This is going to go so bad. And you meet a reasonably attractive man. He's no Zac Efron. But no. 
You they, mean, they. You mean a nice guy? Did a, did a service by casting Zach. Oh, Efron I think. I mean, nice guy. He's got a job. He's got one eyebrow, a yeah. car. Mm-hmm. And you think, man, he loves me. He loves hanging out with my kid. This cannot get any better. That convicted felon later would look pretty damn good. You know what? Ted was now 24 years old and a student at the University of Seattle, where he studied abnormal psychology and was particularly interested in a study that examined psychological variables and jury decisions. He also began working at the university's crisis clinic on the Tuesday night late shift, where he earned $2 per hour and lived in a spare bedroom with the Rogers family, the owners of a large home near campus. $2 per hour. My goodness, how times have changed. Well, back then, that was a lot of money. The Mm -hmm. Rogers family was an elderly lady, and her husband was ill. And literally, Ted just drove around house to house, knocked on doors, and said, Hi, do you have a room for rent? And she said she was quite taken with him. It was was, the 70s. He was very friendly, and he was gregarious and outgoing. She said, Well, you know, my husband's kind of infirm and ill. And Ted said, If you let me live here, I'll help you with him. I'll help you with the yard work. And she said he was an incredibly gracious tenant he was quiet and that he really aside from getting really shit hammered drunk at a work party and ann rule had to drive him home other than that he was actually like a really good tenant and he was like by all accounts beloved by the woman that the woman that he lived with and her husband because he was able to mow the lawn and trim the trees and stuff like that they weren't his his uh type correct so they were safe correct it was at this crisis center that Ted met Anne Rule, who would go on to write The Stranger Beside Me, a Ted Bundy biography. Anne described Ted as one of her closest work friends and claimed he saved many lives while on the phone with those attempting suicides or overdoses. She said they literally were trained that while someone was saying, oh, you know, I've taken so many pills or whatever to talk to them on the phone and keep them on the phone while they traced the call and sent the cops Mm -hmm. and that he was really, really good at keeping people on the phone and keeping people from hanging up so that the cops could get there. And then they hear the cops break down the door and say, "Okay, we got him. We got him and hang up the phone. I mean, this is classic psychopath sociopath behavior where you can he's basically two different people yeah you can be a really nice guy and have Mm -hmm. friends and live a seemingly normal life and then on the flip side have this other life that no one knows about yeah i mean those two things are not mutually exclusive compartmentalizing yeah serial killers almost all serial killers have normal day lives. True. Normal day jobs. BTK or whatever. People G- don't. Golden Dahmer. Yeah. yeah. Gacy. Yeah. They, they, and then when the shit hits the fan, everyone says, I never would have thought he could have done she something that like that. Her husband was going through melanoma. He had really serious uh, skin cancer, but they were having a very bad time in their marriage and she was trying to leave him. And she said, I just don't see, she was talking to Ted this late night shift. She worked, she volunteered once per week and she'd work like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And he worked every day like 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., something like that. So their shifts would cross about once a week, and she said she would find herself turning her chair towards him because he was so inviting and warm when he talked and real yeah. vulnerable and would listen. And she said, you know, I, I got these kids and I think I'm going to leave my husband, but he has this cancer. And Ted said, what good does it do him or you to stay in this marriage that's making neither of you happy? And he shouldn't he be able to make the most of his time that he has left? And shouldn't good you point. set him free and let him be happy? And she said she filed for divorce paperwork. She was going to already, but it kind of gave her a bump, his mm-hmm. advice, and that her ex-husband ended up getting married to someone else and lived the last four or five years of his life pretty happy there you go so i mean you just can you just imagine this well person? he also used this charm and his personality later to 
get his victims it's just, it's like to Jek- trust him. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, can yeah, you imagine sure. your coworker that you sat next to and you think, oh, I know him. I know Ted. He's a great guy. Yeah. He helped me so much in my my relationship advice and helped me with my – I mean, can you imagine? It's, no. It would be shocking and uh, a therapy session all on its own. I mean, it led Anne Rule to a lifelong fascination with him and to write this book, yeah. which is a phenomenal book. Ted saved other lives, too. It was during this time that he saved a two-year-old child from drowning at nearby Green Lake. He also stopped a purse snatcher, running down the thief and returning the purse to a grateful victim and policeman standing nearby. If you were that child that got saved by Ted Bundy, please call the show. <laughs> we don't have a phone number. But yeah, email us. DM us on Instagram. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine? again, you can do nice things and also do real shitty, things. I'm not saying it's forgivable, things. but what a weird paradox that you live in. It's not even survivor's guilt. It's like the opposite. What that he saved you? That he's that you're the person that he saved. Because what do they say if you go back in time? What was that on Avengers? He's like, we should just you know go kill Thanos, like you the baby. Like, would oh. you go back in time and kill baby Hitler or whatever? Like, well, could you go back in time and kill Ted, baby Ted Bundy and it would save all these people? But that, then that little boy that or girl, yeah, wouldn't have lived. It's just a weird paradox it of is. not not even just being. A person that ha- had interacted with him and you survived, but it, it, in fact, quite the opposite. It was a person that you interacted with and you're alive by because virtue of, of your re- interaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. It's the butterfly effect. Yeah. While Ted's relationship with Stephanie Brooks had ceased, he would write to her frequently, and Stephanie would still call Ted when she passed through Vancouver visiting family. Ted also told Anne about Stephanie, confessing that he was still in love with her, despite being in a relationship with Liz. He told Anne he applied to law schools anywhere he could be close to her, near her home in San Francisco, and that she was the one woman, the only woman I ever loved. Yeah, even despite, and Anne said, you know, Liz loves you. You're every day, you're with her. She's got your back. She is helping you apply to law school. She's supporting you. Like, what is wrong with you? And he just said, I don't know. I can't help it. I can't get over Stephanie. I can't stop thinking about you her. You want what you can't have. Yeah, I, maybe that's what it was, too. And, and uh, you know, he would write to her a lot, and she would infrequently write back and just kind of say, oh, it's good to hear from you. But she never really cut him off, but it wasn't that they had some long-distance affair. It was very one-sided. Right. In 1972, Liz became pregnant. But due to Ted and Hurst's tumultuous relationship, she made the decision to terminate the pregnancy. That same year, Ted enrolled at the University of Washington and graduated with a degree in psychology. So he's kind of hopping around from school to school. He went Puget Sound, Washington, Temple, back to Washington, finally graduated with a psych degree. And his professor said, by all accounts, he was a very good student, especially in psychology. He did research with the professors, and, I mean, they were just impressed. Yeah. Ted was also working for the Crime Prevention Advisory Board and yearned to become its director. His position on this board was instrumental in getting a law passed that made hitchhiking in Washington state legal. He was also privy to statistics showing the least patrolled areas in the city. You see this with serial killers where they want some semblance of authority. Some, like the BTK killer was a control officer and he went around right. and patrolled as far as the code enforcement. And then he here Ted is a somewhat law enforcement adjacent job well he also has access to information that Mm -hmm. lets him know oh where's a good place that i could target victims that isn't going to be patrolled by cops and also what's a great way to pick up victims hitchhiking more people are going to be doing it they're not going to get in trouble that's so weird you pass a law that makes it legal he was very insistent on that law i have never and will never 
hitchhike. I would literally rather walk like 30 miles and hitchhike. Unless it was a very dire situation. I wouldn't, I can't ever see myself doing something like that. I've seen too many made for TV movies. Yeah, it's, it's insane. You don't really see it. In the 70s, you saw it a lot. It was a free-for-all. But now, it's rare that you see someone standing on the side of the highway. You know, I'll never hitchhike, never ever hitchhike. A classic cautionary tale, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. You may be sitting, you're riding along, all of a sudden, tell them Large Marge Large sent you. Large Marge gets you. <sighs> Best character on that movie, though. She's so good. In January 1973, Ted resigned from the board, having not been made its director, and went to work for Kings County Law and Justice Planning, where he spearheaded a study on rape victims. And Ann Rule had written, she was, while working at the crisis center and now divorced, single mom, she was trying to do freelance writing, and she had written a couple of articles for the local paper about certain rapes that had happened, and she bumped into Ted while not on one of their crisis shifts and he said oh do you mind sending me the the studies that you've done do you mind mm-hmm. sending me the information i'm doing some research for some it a little insider trading and he also wrote a pamphlet on for women on ways to prevent being victims of rape kill ted bunny <laughs> That's that's one way. That so was the number man one. who handed you this pamphlet. That was number one. Don't get in this man's car that just handed Seriously. you this pamphlet. Ted had always shown an interest in politics, and upon graduating from the University of Washington, went to work for Governor Daniel J. Evans' re-election campaign. Liz encouraged Ted to apply to University of Utah School of Law, even though he had been previously rejected. You know what his job was on the governor's campaign? Writing speeches, right? Or no, no, uh, rec- editing speeches? Recording opponent speeches for analysis like game tape he would go around follow the challenger with a tape recorder and he would wear mustaches and wigs oh and they said he got that's fun he got a huge kick out of dressing up he loved the secret sneaky surreptitious and he would record the tapes and they would bring them back to the governor and the governor would go good job ted yeah we're gonna get him always seeking that approval yeah approval of a male influence and then also just doing something like the tiger traps in the woods yeah getting him i got a speech and he would notice oh well if he's talking to the farmers out in the rural parts of washington he's going to use this kind of phraseology and he was talking about the college kids and see Seattle, he's going to use this kind of and, and like kind of analyzing it and mm. thinking that he was getting like the, the secret the scoop. inside scoop. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz's father was a prominent doctor in Utah and several of her siblings were professionals in the state. Ted resolved to get in, redid his application packet and included a six page personal statement on his interests in the law and the psychology of juries, a resume which slightly overinflated some of his accomplishments, letters of recommendation from several of his professors and a special letter of recommendation from Governor Evans. Yeah, he basically overdid it. He got rejected from U of Utah, and then Liz said, I bet, I bet you could get in now that we're dating. It's also, it's not a great law school. I mean, it's not a top, it's no SMU. <laughs> As a graduate of the Harvard of the South, let me tell you. Is folks, that what they call SMU? That's what I call SMU. <laughs> okay. Oh, Harvard of the South. Well, and the, none of these things were required nor technically allowed by the law school application. They did not require any of these things. They didn't need all. They were like, no. this is they're too like, much. This well, is they frivolous. Get it all, they're like, this fucking guy. Just let him in. Jesus Christ. But they, Ann Rule in her book reads from his letter of recommendation from his professors, and you would think that he was... I mean, just a genius. Just top of his class. Oh my and gosh! It just says uh, the the world of psychological research is being harmed by him leaving because he is wow. such a presence. That is a big jerk off letter. <laughs> Ted was accepted to both the University of Utah School of Law and the University of Puget Sound Law School. 
He started out at UPS and then transferred to the University of Utah School of Law. He attended classes at night, but found his experience disappointing as the university was not as glamorous as he would have liked. He was going to night classes in just a regular looking classroom, and he wanted law school to be you know, hard grain wood and leather seats and... Should have gone to the Harvard of the South. <laughs> you got to go to the Harvard of the South for that kind of stuff. In the summer of 1973, while he was in California on business for the Republican Party, Ted met up with Stephanie and they rekindled their relationship. Stephanie was impressed by his apparent transformation from a college dropout with no direction into a professional with a budding legal and political career. She brought him home to meet her family and was smitten with how much attention he lavished on her. Meanwhile, Liz was back home with her daughter, wondering when Ted would return. That's, Ted, I mean, that's fucked up. He's like gallivanting. She's thinking he's it's off. It's not at, uncommon. Well, I mean, she's thinking he's off at law school. Oh, yeah. And he's actually, or off supporting the Republican Party. I think he's doing both. I mean, this is a Republican for you. <laughs> can't wait to get messages about that <laughs> not all republicans cheat on their spouses no, that's just true. a majority of the senators <laughs> ted was now dating both liz and stephanie although neither woman was aware of the other's existence ted and stephanie began to get serious even discussing marriage ted would often introduce her as his fiance stephanie found herself excited to marry him but then without warning he disappeared entirely you're describing my worst nightmare <laughs> Just being ghosted? Yes. In 1974, Ted abruptly broke off all contact with Stephanie, refusing to return phone calls or letters. A month later, she finally reached him by phone and demanded to know why he had broken things off with no explanation. In a calm, flat voice, Ted replied, Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean. She never heard from him again. Shit, he hung up the phone after he said that, too. <laughs> what, what else are you going to say after that? After he's gaslighting yeah. you? Ted later claimed, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could have married her. But Stephanie believed that Ted had deliberately planned the entire courtship and rejection in advance as vengeance for breaking up with him years earlier. She even suspected his accomplishments, graduating from college, jobs, and application to law school, were all ploys to prove to her that he was worthy of her. Yeah, so she told a friend of hers that she said, I think it was all just That's an, a long con. It was a long con. And Ann Rule calls it his dedication. Five, yeah, she says it's his five years uh, revenge plan. That's some dedication right there. Seriously. They say hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. It sounds like Ted Bundy was. It's really hell hath no fury like Ted Bundy scorned. Sounds like it. Five years. Not long after, Ted began skipping his law school classes, and by April of 1974, he had stopped attending entirely. Coincidentally, this was the same time young, attractive women began disappearing in the Pacific Northwest. Ooh. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> to be continued. So what do we think? I stand by my statement. He's a shitbag. Uh, we'll get into kind of how, uh, in addition to the fact that he was a murderer, he was sort of an unpleasant person. He was unpleasant to Liz. He yes. was generally unpleasant to his classmates. And I think that the Zac Efron... He was very arrogant correct. and cocky. And the Zac Efron movie, I think, makes him seem like a nice, charming guy, which I'm sure he kind of was, but also he was a dick. It makes it seem like that to Liz. I do think he comes across as very arrogant and cocky once he gets in the courtroom. Yes. and Like a lawyer. Well, Am I right? Do you know what's worse and more annoying than a lawyer? As far Ted as Bundy is a arrogance lawyer? and cockiness? A law student. 
<laughs> yeah. Because you have just enough information to know, to think you know a lot. And to then once you, yeah. once you graduate and you take the bar, you go, oh shit, I don't know anything. And it sort of gives you a, a little Humbles bit of a, you a bit. reality check. Yeah. But when you're in law school, you just think, oh, you want to know about torts. Yeah. Who doesn't? Everybody's just always walking around thinking, if I only had someone that could just come up to me and explain torts to me. You know who can explain torts? Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer. And Ted Bundy, probably. (laughs) Probably. But yeah, what do you think? Well, I mean, he's obviously a shitbag. It is interesting to me how even after he's in prison, he's still rewriting his story. Yeah. That's very fascinating to me. And I think he is... Definitely a sociopath and a psychopath. In later episodes, we'll kind of get into what, where all that came from. I don't think he was born this way. No. I don't think any anyone's really born this way. But some things that happened in his childhood and later on kind of... He kind of paved his own way. It's like all of these things can happen to somebody and you don't choose to murder and rape women. True. I think he had a lack of... Uh identity growing up because they changed his name yeah. he didn't know his real mom he didn't know his real dad he gets taken away from his grandparents and he's thrust into some guy he doesn't really fit in with he does you know johnny bundy didn't really like him then all of a sudden he's a big brother he didn't want to be that and so he was kind of a little bit forced to do a bunch of stuff he didn't want to do and i think that when he finally meets stephanie diane the girl that you know the girl of his dreams he thinks Oh, finally, I have a place. I'm going to do this. And she basically said, looks at him, knows him because he said they dated. They would spend a lot of time together and go driving around and go on these, you know, long road trips. And, and she finally knew truly who he was and said, you know, you're kind of a loser <laughs> after she got to know him. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of a harsh. Yeah. He had never really been accepted. He never really fit in. And he always was self-conscious about the way he was brought up, the fact that his parents didn't have money. His weird middle school titties. His, that, that was you. Well. His childhood friend said in their neighborhood, while all the kids were friends, there was a clear division of the haves and have-nots. Oh, yeah. And his, his family was in the have-not category. Oh, yeah, his dad was a line co- or yeah. a cook. You had know. a respectable job, but he was always embarrassed by that. He, his, he had some cousins that were wealthy, and he always envied them and wished that his father could have the same type of wealth that his uncle did. So, and that's interesting too, that he sought out these women that had came Mm -hmm. from wealthy families. Again, kind of just wanting to rewrite his own story and and fake it till you make it. I think so. Become part of something that he wasn't ever included in. Christy, we have some exciting news today. We need to share. Our merch shop is open. If you head to SinisterHood.com, you'll see a link up in the top corner that says shop. And you too can get your wonderful Keep Your Creepy Devil Rules the Airwave shirt and a Sinisterhood Lucky 13 shirt. Because y'all know that's our favorite number. Baby onesies. Someone asked. I'm so sorry to report. Someone asked if we had the onesies in adult sizes. We don't. I've had several people ask that. (laughs) I believe they're called body suits. (laughs) Um, I don't think we have. My question is. Why do you want to wear one? Who doesn't want a shirt that snaps in the crotch? I, you know, those were a thing back in the 80s, and I had many of them. They have them in American Apparel. They're still a thing, yes. You know how I know I shouldn't wear one? Because they sell them in American Apparel. <laughs> I'm not that cool. No. But yeah, if you head to SinisterHood.com, click on Shop in the top right corner, it'll take you to all the cool mugs, canvas, totes, hats. There's all sorts of stuff. Beanies, whatnot. So yeah, so let us know what you think. Send us a selfie, hashtag yes, Sinisterhood merch, do. and show us what you're wearing. Can't wait to see if everyone in these t-shirts. Shirts. Please. Well, many of you have asked if we have a Patreon where you can donate to the show. We do. 
Our show will always remain free, but if you wish to donate to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit www.patreon.com forward slash Sinisterhood. You can get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus mini-sode. So head on over and uh, check out some of our cool video content. We work really hard to bring you. And you can stick around after our sign-off to hear our Patreon shout-outs. Yes, please. Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for everybody that's done that so far. It really helps a small podcast like us get lots of exposure and it's going to help us stay at the Adolphus Hotel soon so you're going to see what comes of that so head to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and give us a review you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod or like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy where are you at? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace Heather what about you? At Heather vs. The World on Instagram and at MCK vs. The World on Twitter As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey guys, thank you so much for subscribing to be loyal patrons. We appreciate you so much. Specifically, Jennifer Enochson. Amanda. Rachel Rose. That's a fun name. Kelly Cohen. I'm going to say Warner. It could also be it's, Werner. I know. It's Werner Padilla. Who's, you know this person? Yes. Oh. We work together at Sea Dog. Shout out, Werner. Love oh, you. Nice. Thank you, Frenchie. Thank you so much. Allie. Summer Lee Riley. Also a very pretty name. All of your names are pretty and all of you are pretty and we love you so much because we really appreciate all of the support. I will be sending out your Patreon stickers on the 15th as usual and uh, Christy and I are going to draw some little pictures on the back so please enjoy. Keep it creepy. Bye. Sinister Hood.